Hello everyone. Again, after uh, today's events, I, I wanted to go ahead and apologize again, but I also wanted to share that as a private citizen in Indiana, I can't even access my own private property. And now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire, with your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio So for this episode, uh, we're just going to take a look at the privately owned racetracks. And we went to a couple different options just to kind of get a sense of what a road course versus a short track would be like. But basically, privately owned racetracks, in other words, tracks that live and die by the income that comes from that venue. There isn't some giant conglomerate company behind them. There isn't uh, an owner or a team of owners who have other ways that they're making money. Like these are people who really require this track to work for them in order to make their living. So of course their situation is gonna be very different from some of the other ones that we go to. During the pandemic, there was a lot of social media videos that were going viral of different businesses that were trying to keep their doors open or figure out what was right and what was wrong per the regulations that they were given. And when we first heard about Michael Doherty on social media, he was going viral because he basically opened up his racetrack, Doherty Speedway in Boswell, Indiana, and the local government had a bit of a problem with it. And it kind of turned into this big hoopla about what was right and what was wrong. And so naturally, that was Dinner with Racers territory, and we knew he had to be a part of it. So we ended up really liking the guy uh, because he gave us a lot of time. He's very affable, just kind of a normal dude. Uh, we had breakfast. I would argue the breakfast of champions uh, with uh, yum yum donuts. What'd you have, Ryan? I had a donut. I still had a chicken sandwich. Nope. Nope. You had a chicken sandwich donut. And we ate right at the concession stand at Doherty Speedway. And the entire time, the guy's getting blown up on his phone by people asking if they're actually going to be open that night. The guy driving the tractor around the track to wet it down because it's a dirt track. I mean, this guy literally was giving us his time, and he didn't even have it to give. So it was really cool to get to sit down with him. And we both liked him a lot. Thanks to Continental Tire for sponsoring us. As always, buy tires. Tweet them. Meow. All right, so we're uncomfortably close. <laughs> Social distancing at its finest. Yeah, exactly. We quarantined together. Yeah, we're fine. I mean, <laughs> if you sit sure. in a car for weeks on end, like there's yeah, you just get the yeah. same thing over and over again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whereas there's clearly six feet between us, so I yeah. think we're fine. Uh-huh. I think we're fine. Uh-huh. So that's what everybody's asking us. What are you gonna do? if they're cohabitating? They can sit together. If they ride in the car together, they're sitting together. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what are you gonna do? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right, so Doherty Speedway. Um, in the grand scheme of places we've been to, I'd say I'm probably least familiar with this track. So forget all the politics, forget the shutdown. Sell me on Doherty Speedway. Um, it was a dirt track started in 1967 by Avery Henry. And out in the middle of nowhere, as you can see, there's the only thing around us is corn. Uh, corn and soybeans, that's what you see in Indiana. And I think Avery Henry had a vision to make this an attraction for this county. And it's, it's, it's got a long history, a lot of racers, Dick Potts, you know, just from up the highway. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people in Indiana uh, have raced here. And it's changed hands quite a few times over the years. Uh, it was actually paved at one time. It went to asphalt, came back to dirt, 
and it's been dirt ever since. And I want to say it was uh, asphalt up until 97, 90, 93, 97, somewhere in that range. Um, the previous owners uh, had lost it in a bankruptcy, and the bank took it back, and it sat dormant for five years. Still has a speedway, but just nothing touched. Yeah, nothing yeah. touched. Okay. I mean, nothing but rutted out, weeds, everything. It's grown over. Yeah. yeah. And there were rumors every year that somebody was going to buy the track. It was up for sale. NASCAR drivers uh, were all, you know, talking about, oh, we're going to buy it. If they ran out here at all, you know, they were potential buyers. And the realtor that had it listed with the bank contacted me and said, hey, you know, you want to go out there and take a look? And this was the first racetrack I'd ever raced at. I'd, I'd never been to a circle track until I visited this track. And so I raced here for five years up until the day it closed. Uh, and I got rookie of the year in my street stock class the first year I raced. So it's got a little history to me, too. Right? Yeah. So it's like this is your local track that yeah. you have a personal affinity for. Yep. So, okay. And... So we closed on the track in late November 2013, and when everybody looked at the track, people come in here all the time, oh man, this this place is too far gone. And when I said, we're opening in 2014, everybody was, no way, no way. <laughs> I mean, I had other promoters come in and help me with the greater setup and everything else saying, there's no way you're going to get this open this year. And I'm very hard-headed. You know, I take after my, my mom is, is who I'm going to blame it on, but I was determined, and you know, we had a lot of support, a lot of people come out and help volunteer. And so this track is really a community track. You know, the volunteers, the people that put their time, hard sweat tears um, into making this place back a racing uh, facility. And we worked through the winter that year. You know, we fought a very bad winter, a very snowy winter in 2013, 2014. Uh, and we, you know, we got it open. We had our issues with Fresh dirt being brought in, laid down. It was a little rough the first year, but everybody stood with us, uh, and we've been running it ever since. With social media playing such a huge role, I got burnt out. A lot of our staff got burnt out. And so that last year, we took the year off last year, and I, I raced my late model full-time. But the, the way to sell you on this track is just the community outreach that it has in the middle of nowhere. We pull people from all around the state, from Illinois and it's just it's just a great facility to see, you know, the community come out and support you. In terms of statistics on this racetrack, how long is it? How many cars race here on a on a Saturday night? And you know, what are some of the things that if you were a sports car racing fan like a lot of our fan base is, what are some of the things about this track that are make it unique? Uh, what makes this track unique is it's a three eighths uh, mile track. It's high banked and it's fast. Uh, we held a summer national show and a super late model driver pulled me to the infield at Summer Nationals Hell Tour and screamed, slow this track down. <laughs> and his dad loaded his car up and wouldn't race because this track was so was fast. so fast. Yeah. And we hear that from all the people. They go to these short tracks, and, you know, we're three-eighths high bank. We're pretty fast. And if we get the track set right, I mean, they're flying around here. We had World of Outlaws Darren Pittman rent the track a few mm -hmm. weeks ago, and he was running 11.1 second laps, which is, I believe, <laughs> a record. Around a 3.8 mile. Around yeah. a 3.8 mile. Yeah, that's cranking. He, <laughs> he was wide open, not lifting. Yeah. It was a sight to see. I've got some videos on our Speedway page. It was amazing to see. When the driver that said this place was too fast, how how hard did you laugh in his face? Um, he's a very well-respected, super late model driver. <laughs> oh, okay. wow. Very okay. well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I think I gave it away by his dad being here racing with him. But... Um, 
you know, I was just shaking my head. You know, I didn't say anything bad to him. I just said, okay. And I walked away and I just under my breath chuckled, but I didn't laugh in his face. Uh, but, but yeah, I was just like, you're a race car driver. Nothing should be too fast. Right. I, I always enjoy comments like that. I, I can understand a safety aspect of it, but if you're the only one saying that, that, that might make you wonder. But also, uh, how what, what kind of gun is it that you put to people's heads to come here and race that make them have to come? Oh, wait. No, it's a choice. Yes. Yeah. It's always a choice. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. It's too fast. Go home. Yeah. Is that how it goes? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that is one of the largest draw with the drivers, and that's also one of our largest deterrents. So engine builders don't like this track because it's normally wide open, high banked fast, and it is hard on engines. And so people can go to a smaller quarter-mile track and get an tra- engine to last all year. This track is a little bit harder on them because they're running it wide open. They're getting it hot. And so it has its uh, pluses and minuses. People love it because of the speed, and that's kind of what sets us apart. You know, we're probably one of the fastest around here. You know, you have look at how large Eldora is, but how slick it gets over, and they're slow. Yeah. But here we can get this track tacky, and, and they're, they're scooting around there. Yeah, because we're sitting here at, let's call it 10 a.m., when we show up, we're gonna go. We're gonna sound earlier. We got here at nine a.m. and you guys were already working on the track, and it looks like work's been going on since a lot earlier than that. Yeah. So you spend a lot of time making sure this place is as fast and grippy as possible. Absolutely, yeah. And, and we're out in the middle of nowhere. We don't have any. You see windmills all around us. There's a reason they're here. It's windy out here, so we're always fighting the wind and the sun. No trees, no shade. You see a lot of race tracks that are built in the middle of trees. Well, our owner, when they had it as pay, uh, asphalt. They cut all the trees down because, you know, we don't care if the track dries out. We want it dry. But, you know, so we fight the wind and the sun all the time. We've been here since Wednesday night uh, watering. We've been here for the last week and a half just doing everything else. Yep. Uh, what is the seating capacity here? Uh, 6,600 people in the grandstands and 1,000 out here. We're one of the largest, you know, small dirt tracks around. It's the largest <laughs> small dirt yeah. track in town. That is a beautiful description. Um, how big is the overall campus so uh, we sit on 25.4 acres okay okay so in your opinion um so let's assume we're idiots in terms of local short tracks from if you're going to rate this on a scale of indianapolis motor speedway to a testing track behind somebody's you know behind somebody's house uh where would this rank i would say i mean i i would rank this probably right in the middle yeah. um it, it's a good facility it's it's a little tired. We've been doing it for many years. It needs a uh, it needs some uh, construction and uh, improvements. Uh, like I said, with the the amount of wind and sun that we fight, that's one of the difficulties. Uh, we don't have the luxury of of going out and watering a day or two before and making it easy. It's it's a it's a challenge to get this track going. As we're sitting here, you guys are literally prepping for your first race mm-hmm. of the season, and they're literally loading refreshments. Into the fridge right next to us because yep. this is happening right now. So yeah. you guys have a lot on your plate today. Yeah, we do. I yeah. mean, uh, first race, loading all the concession stands, loading everything, making sure all our radios work, all the PA system. It's, it's right. a checklist we go through. <laughs> and so you guys shut down in 2019 literally just because this is a family business. Yes. Um, this, is not, this is not some huge profit-driven deal where you're making millions of dollars and, and you know, building your empire of, of real estate around here. If you don't have the energy to do this, this place doesn't run. Correct. Right. Yeah. Short track racing to me is, a, is almost like a personal thing for families. They come out. It, it's like a Saturday night tradition from the small town that I grew up in. And we didn't have necessarily a fast track, so it wasn't like there was a track pride in terms of like this place is super fast if you come to this track from all parts of town you're gonna have to know how to drive 
And it sounds like this place has that family feel and also that local pride. Is that yes, fair to absolutely. say? Yeah. 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 We, you know, families come out. The number, uh, with us being shut down last year, the number of people that have called and messaged us and said, I'm so glad you're back open. You know, I've missed this place. It's, it's, been, it's been great, and that's what keeps us going. It really is. Yeah, I would say, so one thing coming from, say, California, yeah. um, I didn't grow up in a small-town community where everybody kind of rallies behind the Friday night football team or mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. W- what is this to the area? It's... For the longest time, it was like the staple of this county. Now, with the wind farms that come in, that's what this county's known for is, is the wind farm. So it's kind of taken a back seat. We're in a lot of competition now. People don't do a lot of family-friendly events. They sit at home and they watch Netflix. They do, you know, all those types of things. Back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, this racetracks were all you had. You had roller rinks and skating rinks and, you know, things like that. So we've seen it, uh, the fans diminish the amount of families coming out. Uh, decrease, but you still have that aspect uh, of the diehard racer that's here every week. The gentleman that's been sitting out there waiting to get into the gate since uh, 11 o'clock. Is that who that is? Yeah. That's a fan? Yeah. Oh, that's we drove fan. by oh, that. Oh, wow. Yeah, we had no idea. Yeah, we, we thought like, it might have been you. We were like, oh, maybe he's sitting out here nope. like waiting on us. That's a fan. That's he, a fan waiting to get it first one in the no gate. No kidding. And, and again, it's super early right now, and look over your right shoulder, Sean. Yep. We got, oh, yeah. Yeah. This is our first so, I mean, guy like, This is like a big this is the deal, real deal for the yeah, local yeah. local spot. These are street stocks, right? Yeah. yeah. This, yeah, this awesome. guy here is Derek Wine. He's a local legend. Okay. Got the, so, got oh, the yeah, mullet and everything. Derek! Oh, Those yeah. chops are amazing. Yeah. Derek is our guy. Yeah, we're going to have to talk to that guy. Running yeah, a Camaro. So to, Do it in the dirt. Look at that on yeah. the back. <laughs> so Hell yeah. continue the theme, because what I want people to really understand is that we went to Eldora, and Eldora is obviously owned by a very famous NASCAR driver, Tony Stewart, and he's utilized his business sense to bring in partners and sponsors, and it's already a pretty big place. And this is a lot smaller of an option, and you literally were driving the water truck when we got here first thing this morning, and your phone's been ringing because you're the answering guy when people are calling to see if you're open tonight for business. Yep. So literally, this is as mom and pop as dirt tracks go. Yes. Yeah. This even the small ones out in the rural areas that are smaller than us, they probably have a larger volunteer base. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm answering the phone as I'm riding the tractor around, watering the track. That's pretty much a good way to phrase it. Literally, the main office line is you on a cell phone as you're still doing 1,600 other things here. Mm-hmm. On a given Saturday night, how many people do you have here working to make sure this operation takes place? On an average Saturday, we run with about 45, 40 to 45 staff. Um, concession, infield, safety workers, security, ticket takers, uh, announcers. You know, uh, it's it's 40 to 45. On lower nights, we can scale that back depending on how many concession workers we need. Uh, based on the car counts, how many record drivers we need. But, um, yeah, that's a, that's a good night. On a large night, you know, we need probably 50, 55. And is that volunteers or are those people paid? I pay everybody. Oh, okay. In terms of parking and security and things like that, do you utilize local sheriff volunteers or anything of that sort? No. Uh, the local law enforcement hates this place. Ah. Uh. They had a, you know, and back before I owned it, they were out here every Saturday night breaking up fights, arresting people, alcohol, things like that. We, when it was an operating track or when it was a vacant facility? No, when it was an operating track. Okay. So this place was a rough place to be. You know, there was always fights. Okay. People, uh, drivers would go drag the flagman out of the stand and fight him because they were upset. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't get Why more did you clean that, that up? <laughs> that uh, that's what out. we wanted. Yeah. Well, and, and fans do come to see fights and wrecks, and yes. you know, they like to see that. As they should. And dirt track racing? Yeah. <laughs> 
we wanted to approach it as a family-friendly event. We right. have a family area where there's no smoking, no alcohol. Yeah. And so we don't allow that. We have a high amount of security to where we don't have that. So we had uh, seen an increase in families, families with smaller children mm-hmm. coming back, uh-huh. bringing them for the first time. The local law enforcement in this county is spread very thin. I mean, I believe it's like something like 125 square miles, something like that. And there's only two officers that patrol it in the evenings and on weekends. Okay. So we're sitting here in the summer of 2020, and there is a pandemic affecting the entire world. And it is absolutely shutting down the motorsports industry. Motorsports isn't exactly the priority that other industries of entertainment are. When you first heard about coronavirus, what was your impression, and did you think it was going to affect your racing? Yeah, my first impression was, you know, oh, my God, we got the Spanish flu. We, we're going to gonna be down. It was... Oh, really? So it was your first impression was this is a real deal. Yes. It wasn't like, oh, that's something on the West Coast or New York. It's not going to affect Indiana. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, my first impression when I, you know, when I watched all the media news outlets was this is going to hit hard. I went and I stocked up on ammunition and food and, you know. It was ammunition good. first? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because okay. you can use ammunition to get food. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's what I did. But yeah, I, I I knew it was going to be something big, especially okay. the way the media was portraying it. Uh, we live in a scare-based society to where people are they purchase and they act based out of scarcity. For the speedway here in Indiana, um, what was the timeline as far as mandates coming down that that racing wasn't going to happen? We were the racing community at, as a whole was not included in any of the initial governors. Uh, plan back on track and that's where i was just like well we're not on the list we're, let's just make our own rules and we'll run when we can so to clarify can you explain what back on track is for someone that might be watching this from florida okay. yeah back on track was the indiana governor eric holcomb's plan to reopen the state as a schedule based on the areas that that people were in so as safety is the main concern scheduled dates and he had a six stage plan that says stage one these people can open stage two yeah etc so he literally so it's literally called the back on track plan and what we've learned is that there isn't actually a proper part of this for motorsports including race tracks so the back on track plan doesn't actually list race tracks to be a part of it correct yeah that seems a little ironic yeah. <laughs> so in, in indiana right. uh, so in the phase plan, there were sort of predetermined criteria, and this would allow anything classified as a movie theater or classified as an amusement park or classified as an entertainment arena. But racetracks in Indiana had no classification. Correct, yeah. Nothing. For the back-on-track plan. Yeah. yeah. And in the, Indiana. And, yeah. And the governor said he's a big uh, racing fan, but excludes the you know the racing capital of the world. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> the back on track plan. I'm I can't let track. that go. Yeah, no, no. Uh, okay. So Governor Holcomb of Indiana issued this sort of phase one stay-at-home order here in Indiana towards the second half of March. Um, what was then the timeline for you guys in terms of shutting down? Um, we had uh, scheduled our opening night uh, Memorial Day weekend, and that was our plan. His stage two started then. Again, we weren't listed, so we felt that there, he had already uh, hit stage one, going to stage two, that we could open, and we were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Cut two. <two-headlines>. Yeah. <laughs> Headlines. What yeah. were they, uh, uh, 
forgetting classifications for a second, what were the conditions for a phase two reopening? You know, I don't recall. I, it, it's all listed on backontrack.in.gov. Uh, but I think phase two was uh, some restaurants could start providing uh, some uh, services. Restaurants could open at like 25% capacity. Okay. Um, you know, some other places at 50% capacity. But in all of this, racetracks in Indiana had no classification. Right. No. So what did you do? Without seeing anything specific to racetracks, uh, we took it upon ourselves that we were going to race. And we were going to um, provide a, a service and entertainment to people that were depressed at home and wanted a, an outlet. Yeah, I'd say stir crazy was a pretty good way of describing most race fans. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Memorial Weekend, you basically take it upon yourselves to say we're going to open and run a fan public event. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we were limiting everything. We were following guidelines set forth by the governor for all other businesses. We were social distancing. We were not going to be, we were 100% online, no transaction of money, no concession stand, no beer. We were going to operate at 25% capacity based on the guidelines in stage two of what he was doing for other venues, Yeah, but it didn't apply to us. And just to clarify, the only indoor part of this facility would be the, the bathrooms. Yes. Like the grandstands are not covered. It's not like that. Yeah, you can separate people. Yes, everything's yeah. here is, is wide open. Yeah. So what happened? Yeah. Uh, so I had received a call from the superintendent of the state police, Doug Carter, and he said, oh, I want to meet with you. And he was in Benton County, so he was meeting with local uh, officials there. And how and far out is this from you running My house. Event? I oh, mean, from your race. Uh, the same week. Okay. So, so just a few Monday, days before. Yeah, Monday, yeah. Tuesday, the same week. And what was his name? Uh, Doug Carter. Had you ever heard from Doug Carter before? Um, no. No. Okay. Never, so never heard from him. He's the superintendent for the state, state in terms police, of law yeah. enforcement. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And so he calls, hey, I want to meet with you. And at this point, I was skeptical. Uh, <laughs> extremely hey, skeptical. Guy I've never heard of with yeah. the state. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Authority yeah, yeah. figure, what? He's right. calling me on my cell phone. <laughs> How'd you and get this number? <laughs> he said, oh, I want to meet with you. you know, and he was very eager to meet with me. So I said, okay. you know, And he's, he was on his way back to Indianapolis, and he drove, drives by my house in Lafayette. And I said, okay, let me give you a call back. So I called my attorney, and I said, <laughs> <laughs> are they, Smart. Yeah. I said, are they going to arrest me? He said, well, I, he oh. said, you've shown intent that you're going to break the law. There could be a possibility. Huh. So I refused the meeting with, with Doug Carter, and I said, based on legal counsel's recommendation, I'll do a conference call with you, whatever, uh, but I'm not going to meet you in person. And that next day, I didn't even go to work because <laughs> yeah, you, there was a, a heavy state police presence around the area, and mm. I, th I honestly thought they were going to come and arrest me because my intent to race and break the governor's orders. Wow. <laughs> That's uh, a sentence you don't think you'd hear? Yeah. yeah you know? No. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then, at what point do you feel comfortable enough to continue any of this? Um, we had a conversation. I, I, they did accept my conference call, which I had my legal counsel on. We had a phone conference, and I had my attorney present. Um, and so we talked about all the specifics. They had their chief counsel for the governor on the call, as well as another attorney and state superintendent, Doug Carter. We talked through all the logistics, and they just said, basically, you can't run. And I said, okay, are you telling me or are you asking me? We're asking you, is what they said. I said, okay. I, and I, I was polite, professional. I said, I appreciate your concern, but I feel I'm within my constitutional right to run the racetrack. You know, you guys haven't set any legal precedent. You just sent out the executive order 
And I said, I believe my constitutional right to operate my business supersedes that. Which, and your understanding was this executive order was guidelines. Yes. Yeah. And we had a long conversation. And at the end of that, I told the superintendent and the chief legal counsel to the governor, I said, if you want me not to race, I'm going to need a cease and desist order. I need it, a legal document signed by somebody there that says I can't race because as of right now, I'm racing. And the the it come back the next day. So they were like, okay, let's see what we can do. We're going to meet with the governor tomorrow morning. They met with the governor and positive did come out of it because he said, I've got good news and bad news. Hmm. The good news is we're adding racing as a classification to the back on track plan. <laughs> In Indiana. Yep. It's to the back on track yep. Yep. Yeah, plan. Yep. Yep. Uh, and we're going to allow you to start practicing, but not until Monday because you could have an advantage. Uh, so I couldn't do anything, even practice that weekend. And... So we were added as a classification as of that date, and we were allowed to now practice. Because I even told him on the conference call, I said, I have no way to make money. Yeah. Racetracks were excluded from any kind of government, federal PPP sure. uh, payback program, any kind of loans uh, through the SBA. I said, so we've got to be able to make money. We've got employees that utilize this as, as their uh, source of income. And he said, well, you know, we've got you. We can You can practice. And I said, okay, well, that brings in one... 50th of the revenue that we need but yeah. you know thank you and he said okay so you're gonna close and i said no i think we're gonna race i said did you get me a cease and desist order no we, we can't do that well show up to the track on saturday i'll have a ticket waiting for you you can come watch okay that's <laughs> so weird that was, i don't know why this went the way it did yeah. <laughs> so that was my i mean I, a little bit of an asshole comment and i was just like a little bit, you know, a little bit. but uh he and, and his tone immediately changed, you know, because before Why? I can't yeah. imagine this. Yeah. He <laughs> was he was my best friend on the call. And, yeah, I, and yeah, I believe yeah. he's got some negotiation skills for like hostage because sure. he was very good. And, oh, yeah. Mike, we're going to have a beer after this. Oh, and then okay. when he said, so you're still going to race Saturday? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, oh, and his voice immediately yeah. dropped. And, and so then he, he, he didn't respond. Right. So the next morning. Um, I had two state police people show up to my home, two state pl- pl- police show up to my business to serve me with a cease and desist order. Oh, so they could okay. get one. So they did. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Weird. They got one. Why did uh, Why did you need the cease and desist? Was that sort of a legal thing on your end or just sort of a, for lack of a better expression, an ego play? Like, no, you have to tell me I can't do this. It was more of a, a legal precedent because they were, and, and I even called him on it. I said, are you telling me I can't race or are you asking? And he said, we're asking you not to race. Sure. And I said, well, I feel I'm within my constitutional rights to race. And so I was wanting that as a legal precedent to protect businesses for them trampling on our rights for any time fu- in the future if something like this happens again. And there is a case in California where um, they did take it to the Supreme Court and we're still awaiting that decision based on our, our suit. So Okay. So Saturday night comes and... Did you do anything? Did you try to? No. So uh, Friday comes, yeah. the day before the race. And I come up here. We're not able to race. So I'm coming here to shut my water off. It's supposed to get down to like 28, 30 right. degrees. Because at this point, you do have legal documents. So you, I mean, yeah. you are absolutely breaking the law now if you were to continue to do it. Yep. Yeah. So I'm coming to the track. I'm going to shut my water off, everything else. I've already announced on Facebook that we canceled the event. I've already announced to everybody we're refunding money. And I show up and I have barricades at the roads on both sides to where I can't even access my property. Wow. And so I immediately call, uh, call the sheriff and they're like, 
oh, no, we'll give you access to your property. We're sorry. You know, it was supposed to be open on one end. And I just went live on my Facebook feed, which has gotten <laughs> over 500 and something thousand views. Yep. And, yep. We saw uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I started filming everything, and six police cars immediately come up, sirens blaring. <laughs> somebody called in that I was coming up here to shoot somebody. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm at coming to my own private property yeah. to shoot somebody. <laughs> which you've announced, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that's how you do that. Yep. So um, we had that whole altercation, and I told him, I said, we are just trying to shut our water off. We're not racing. The local commissioners even put an electronic sign out on 41 that said race is canceled. Uh-huh. Uh, they brought in the Warren County Highway Department to put up the large barricades and then, um, you know, didn't even give me access to property. There's a property owner over here that had no access. Is there, do they normally put out signs to promote races? No. Oh, so just to can- to make sure people don't show up. Right. Yeah. Just to cancel. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> back to that community involvement <laughs> yeah. we were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, can I get those when we get back going? Yeah. So Friday you come down here to turn your water off because it's going to get blow freezing most likely and the place is barricaded up and you can't really get in so then they show up because you went live with facebook because you were pissed off what did you do on saturday on saturday i was upset with the barricades so we had a protest up at the fowler uh, courthouse the benton county courthouse so do you put out to your friends or you put it out on social media like hey we're going to go down there and protest come help me out or what was the story i actually was approached by several libertarian uh, groups stop up government out- outreach in indiana liberty for indiana liberty for Hoosiers, uh that had uh, set up other protests around the state and they're like oh you need to do something which you know i've never been to a protest before in my life so it's okay you know we can do something and so you know we showed up and uh the we had a group of counter protesters uh, against us and they made it out to be like we're anti-law enforcement and i'm like no <laughs> we're not i'm anti the them barricading my property uh and that was a decision made by the commissioners not the law enforcement but um but yeah so we you know we had that it was peaceful 100 percent. we stood out there for the designated time mm-hmm. you know we got a response from the county sheriff on his facebook page so i feel that we got the insight and the recognition that we wanted out of it yeah at any point when groups from different, how'd you put it, libertarian groups? Mm-hmm. Were, at any point when these libertarian groups are reaching out about protesting, were you thinking, this might be bigger than I wanted? I'm just trying to keep my track going. Um, no, because I uh, I mean, at that point, I was so upset that I just wanted to scream it from the mountaintops. I right. didn't care how big it got. Yeah. Um, I had the libertarian for governor, Donald Rainwater, reach out to me that's going against Eric Holcomb. Uh, and so he's going to be at the event tonight, yeah. at the race tonight. So, uh, you know, I wanted that traction. I wanted people to hear this, you know, just like the lady that got arrested for opening her salon in Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted everybody to see what's going on in this rural county and how they're, you know, stomping on our rights. If Go ahead. if this were to happen again, let's say there's a second wave in the fall or it's just a completely different reason that you get shut down for something along these lines. What have you learned that you would do differently? Um. See, as far as differently, and I see a lot of other racetracks doing it, they're working with their local officials. I attempted to do that initially. I reached out to the county commissioners, and they deferred everything. We're waiting on what the governor says. We're waiting on what the governor says. They, you know, And they wouldn't work with us to help institute a plan, nothing. So uh, as far as differently, um, depending on how everything happens, you know, we won't put the effort in to try to open against the governor's orders. Um, but depending on the outcome of the, the lawsuit to see if, you know, he did uh, violate our constitutional rights by doing it. 
one of the things we've kind of gathered so far from all the different people we've spoken to that work with racetracks is that the motorsports community probably needs to be rec- the motorsports community probably needs to be represented better in the, polit- in the political world in, in, yeah. in politics yeah. yeah one of the things we've learned from from this trip so far from all the different tracks and people like you that we've spoken to is that we believe the motorsports community probably needs to be represented a bit better politically because it seems like there was a lot of times where it was just a, not even a thought on the list of items that needed to be concerned about. Where do you stand on something like that? Absolutely. And and that was when I got the call from Tony Stewart about this whole thing. He even said some of the people in the racing community are upset that you're maybe pushing us back on what we're trying to work for uh, because I was pressing the governor so hard and said that USAC was already working with him. Uh, and, you know, that's well and good. USAC is is – working with them but they there was no union no nothing of any of us small guys uh being represented just the big shows and i think that shows on his timeline of why everything was opened and and they were following the large usac sanctionings and not as small guys is it surprising to you that in the state of indiana that there's not more political pull for motorsports absolutely i mean that the motorsports capital of the world we should be I mean that that should be we should bleed racing here in this state, plain and simple. It, the internet knows a lot of things, <laughs> as you know. The internet's really smart. internet's really smart. Yeah. So we've we've spent some time with you this morning. The guy I'm looking at is not P.T. Barnum looking to make publicity stunts. Um, what would you say to somebody that made that claim? Everybody has their own right to their opinion. You know, they say a lot of things and. Uh, you know, I was sitting with somebody out around the campfire last night, and you know this person? They said you're an asshole. They're not wrong, you know. <laughs> I was like, this happens to us. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I just told her, I said, I treat people the way they treat me. I mean, I said, I'm a, I'm a straight shooter, and you know, as far as publicity, I'm a promoter at this place. That is my goal, but I'm a constitutionalist at heart. You know, I have, I'm a business owner, and I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a small business owner. And we've got to fight for our rights. We've got to fight harder because we don't have, like you said, the bankroll or the large backing of politicians. We don't donate to a lot of PACs to get things done the way we want uh, anything passed in Congress. So we've got to fight tooth and nail for everything we do. You know, I'm out here working all the time to, to, to make it happen. So, you know, if they, they want to see publicity, you know, they, they can say it how they want. I don't think I had you know, a top hat or anything on my video saying, oh, you know, come check us out. And, or I didn't have a sound bite at the end saying, oh, by the way, 500,000 views, come out to the races next Saturday. Right. It was mainly, you know, I was focused on the fact that our rights got violated. Yeah, you're pretty mad. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was mad. Uh, and and I was driven by anger. You know, I'm not mad at, you know, the state police. I'm not mad at, you know, the ones, the, the local sheriffs that had to, you know, fulfill the duties that were given to them by their superiors. But, you know, at the same time, I was angry that day, and, and I'm sure it went through on the video. Uh, I mean, I'm not a good public speaker. I'm not a good person to have on camera. Uh, Disagree. But, yeah, that's <laughs> Disagree. Clean on this. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm passionate about my rights, and especially everything that was going on with the pandemic. That, I think, accelerated everything to locking people at home and yeah. things I didn't agree with. There are other tracks that are out there who feel like somebody like yourself who's been as combative as you have is moving things backwards in terms of the reputation that racetracks get. How do you respond to that? The way I would respond to that is I understand their concern that if they're working out a private deal that benefits them, 
they definitely don't want anybody else infringing on what's going to benefit them. But I've got to look out for me and my business and my employees, and nobody's helping me with that. I, we don't have a coalition. We don't have a union to, to work with that. So I'm going to fight for my rights and my ability to open my business. You don't get a response by just sitting at home and being quiet. So if we're not ever going to fight for our rights, they're going to continue to take it further and further each time. Well, next time, you know, well, they can't do much more than not, not even have a place for us being racing in Indiana, but they're just going to slowly but surely take away our rights little by little. They're going to chip away at it. So I'm going to fight for what I believe in, and I'm going to continue to doing it unless we have a coalition and my, uh, you know, our, our interests are being protected as well, not just the big guys that are paying the money. Do you see, a, as you put it, coalition coming together after all of this has happened from smaller tracks or maybe motorsports in general in the state of Indiana? Unfortunately, I don't. I see too much competition for mm -hmm. any promoters to work together. I've tried to reach out to other promoters, and they're like, well, you're competition. I don't want to work with you. At the end of the day, a lot of promoters are, some are using it as their livelihood. It's 100% of their income. So uh, I, I don't see a coalition coming together uh, of promoters, at least us small guys. So we were talking earlier, you mentioned that you've had some World of Outlaws teams come here and test. Mm -hmm. How does that work? Is that a rental thing? Or is that free? Uh, basically, it's a, it's a rental. We still have to prep the track. We have to have insurance. We have to have staff here. We have to have an EMT. So, you know, there is a cost to rent the track, but we prep it how the uh, driver requests. Some want it heavy and, and wet, and some want it dry slick. So we, we still do uh, the same, uh, probably not the same amount, but a lot of prep to get the track ready for them. How many days a year do you think you rent this place out for that kind of thing? This year, uh, we've had four uh, four practices, uh, but you know, on a normal year, maybe two, okay, one so or two. It's not not very much. So, in terms of income streams, a private testing side of this business isn't a whole lot for you. No. Can you break down the the basic income streams for Doherty Speedway? Okay. Yeah, uh, the income streams we have is uh, private rental for practice sessions. Then we have our gates and ticket admission. We have concession. Uh, and then we also do sponsorships where we allow sponsors to uh, put banners out here and, and, and advertise their products or services. What is the biggest income that you see? Can you give us like the top three? Yeah, I mean, obviously, first and foremost, the biggest income is fans that come in the front gate. Tickets. Uh, yep, tickets is the, is the largest income stream that we have. Uh, the second would be concession sales. And uh, the third, which I think is separate from concession, you guys may differ, is beer. Okay. So if you don't have butts and seats, this place can't stay open? No, not at all. So I'm hearing everything minus private testing requires fans. Even sponsor signage doesn't matter if there's no fans here. So private testing for you sounds like it's a very minor role. So if you are uh, allowed to have non-fan events, it doesn't sound terribly useful for you. No, no. And, and that's what the governor allowed us to run without fans for a, a couple weeks in one of the stages, and, and we just can't do it. I mean, you have to have fans. And there's always been a constant evolution of drivers and fans. Fans are like, oh, the drivers, if we weren't here, you wouldn't have us. And the drivers, oh, <laughs> we weren't here, you wouldn't be here. So it's, it's a constant battle of, like, good versus evil. Yeah. And they both need each other. We have to have drivers to get fans, and you have to have fans to get drivers. It's exactly the same as sports car racing. It is not at all like that <laughs> in sports car racing. <laughs> um, but you're not getting TV money or streaming money or anything like that. Right. It is if there are not butts in that seat, there is no point in this place being here. Right. Yeah, and again, rural Benton County, there's, you know, we're using wireless internet that's slow. We, we really can't stream much out here. Right. So with the shutdown being what it is, there's a lot of people that have been caged up pretty much since spring. 
with the allowance of having spectators here tonight, do you think you'll be at a capacity show for what you're allowed to have? No, I don't think we will. The governor, we, I thought we would uh, before the governor this week decided to move up his date. And that, that's, again, why I think he's randomly throwing out dates. But he moved it up uh, by two days, which allowed two other tracks to operate before us, Friday and Saturday. So fans itching to get out of the house probably went to those shows. So I don't think that we will see the turnout that we would have expected if today was the first day to have fans. Now, and that includes knowing that this place kind of went viral for standing up for what it believed in. Because I would expect this place to be packed as much as it could be because you guys are now a much more known name. In fact, that's why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because we heard about it and we wanted to find out. I, I think that the the recognition we got will bring a few people out. Mm -hmm. But I think at the end of the day, the people that stand up for the rights aren't race fans. You know, they, they want to support something. And if they do show up, it'll only be for a couple races because they aren't true race fans. And, and it takes a true race fan to come out and watch a dirt dirt race. You know, they, they don't want to get dirty. They don't want dust in their face they don't want you know dirt in their nachos <laughs> yeah i love dirt in my nachos so if you continue to operate at a limited capacity for seating or if god forbid a second wave comes at a certain point is this just not worth it to you anymore yeah it, it, it becomes to where you know why are we even doing this you know we're not in this to make money we're in this to provide a service for our community and our fans but we have to at least come close to breaking even so we've been to short tracks before but we've never been here what are we going to see tonight? How many people are showing up? How excited is it going to be? How's the racing? You're going to see a lot of exciting racing. You're going to see fast cars, you know, going around on the high side. Even the four-cylinder class is extremely exciting. Uh, we have one of the r widest tracks in the country as far as short track racing goes. There's a lot of passing, and it, it, it is an exciting event. Um, you know, from I had a driver that come here that raced for the last five years, and I don't remember this track being this wide. Yep, we haven't changed anything. Yeah. It's it's extremely wide, which is good for new drivers, and it's good for passing because they can get out of the way of the leaders, whereas if you're on a real tight track, they're going to cause a lot of wrecks and cause problems. In terms of the people and how they're acting, how do you think the behavior will be amongst fans in terms of social distancing and all the things that have been recommended? I think you'll see people – and I, and I hate hate this term, the new normal. Yeah. Uh, but I think you'll see people understanding that they need to stay away. Um, I think you'll still see people congregating near each other, uh, you know, because, hey, I was at his house last night. What's it matter? Right. So you'll have the, the ones that will not care. But then you'll have the ones that we have a large facility. They'll stay away. They'll have their masks on, which, you know, we're completely fine with. Uh, you know, we, we didn't want to force masks on anybody. But if you're worried about it, you know, absolutely wear a mask, wear gloves. I think the I think the level of excitement will be really good tonight. Everybody will be here getting pumped up, smell that race fuel, yeah. watch some speed. So two days ago, the next phase was enacted by the governor, which allowed more public events. What are some of the things you have to do to allow this event to happen today? So we've got to follow all the social uh, distancing guidelines set forth by the governor. We've got to uh, have minimized contact to a lot of things you know we're asking everybody to bring exact change we're keeping mm -hmm. social distancing we're uh having some staff wear masks where they're wearing gloves when they're touching things yeah uh following all those those guidelines as well we're asking people to stay in their pits as much as possible uh, you know just the the standard guidelines that we've seen other tracks put out and so we've kind of taken some of their guidance and 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 making sure that we keep everybody safe okay will we see a fight tonight 
No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't see any fights. Uh, everybody knows that we have very good security; that we don't allow that. And uh, I'm not saying that it couldn't happen, <laughs> but uh, we we shouldn't see that. Everybody should be happy to be back to racing. Yeah. You know, now next week, you know, the tempers might flare. And <laughs> it like takes that. a week and then yeah. it goes right back to normal. <laughs> okay. Everybody's going to sing Kumbaya and hold hands tonight. <laughs> This is your first race back yes. since the shutdown. Um, you guys are arguably more under the microscope than other racetracks might be because of the last few weeks. Do you feel more pressure to be compliant? Yeah, I um, I still had a feeling in my gut uh, that I will see some state officials around here today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel that they would want to try to you know beat their chest and come in here and at least show some type type of force. So. We wanted to make sure that we were in compliance with the governor's orders. We wanted to make sure because the last thing we want is to get a crowd full of people and they get sent home because some jack wagon wants to flex his muscles and say he's got authority. Which, you know, in dealing with the state police, they were amazingly, you know, nice and, you know, but the local ones weren't so nice. (laughs) You come into tonight with the attitude that you want to be compliant. You want to not make a whole ruckus. You can't be accountable for 5,000 fans, there's going to be somebody that's going to come in being the smartest guy in the, in the campus. Um, how are you going to deal with that? Um, I mean, we've got uh, security staff that are trained to, you know, to de-escalate situations, to, to go through you know, this and that. Mm-hmm. We've thrown out our share of people. So uh, if they do become belligerent and they don't want to follow guidelines, we're just going to show them where the exit is. When you go viral on social media, there's a lot of comments from people that don't know anything about you. Do you have a favorite thing that you read that was so ridiculous that it stands out? Um, you know, there was – I'm trying to think. You know, because there – and I didn't get to read them all because I'm just like, <laughs> at some point you just turn it off right. and you're just like, I'm not listening to this shit anymore. <laughs> the, the, the one that I, I thought was – you know so far-fetched which i'm like whatever and they're like he's just doing this for or what was the exact person and i don't know them from anything they aren't even from the state of indiana right but they said he's just doing it for publicity because he wants to run for governor (laughs) (laughs) i'm like are you me all right (laughs) well well, now we have a critical request can you look at this camera and be like i'm michael doherty and i approve this message yeah Yeah. i'm michael doherty and i approve this message <laughs> Governor Michael Doherty. Governor Michael Doherty. Yeah, that's amazing. That's awesome. I'm finished. So when it comes to family-owned and privately-owned uh, racetracks, of course, one that that you should be very familiar with if you know our show is Virginia International Raceway. We made an entire Amazon Prime episode about that because VIR is privately owned by Ms. Connie Nyholm. This is her bread and butter. Without VIR, I don't know how she's making a living. Uh, And therefore, VIR is a pretty important place for some people. Now, VIR sits right on the border of North Carolina. So where North Carolina had certain regulations that were changing every day, Virginia also had their own. And so Kerrigan was in a unique position to not only know what was going on very close to home, but also having to deal with the regulations of his state. And as you might remember Kerrigan from our previous episode we did on Amazon Prime, he's a hands-on guy, he's the track president there, but he is a nuts and bolts kind of guy. 
So he really dug into this and gave us a lot of time and a lot of information, and we couldn't be more thankful for that. Now, one key thing to note is this is the only episode that we did with uh, lavalier mics, uh, so it will sound a little different than some of the other podcasts you're going to listen to, uh, and that was just came down to time and setup. Uh, Kerrigan had so much going on, we didn't have time to do our whole podcasting, so we just stuck a mic on him and went, and uh, enjoy. Meow. All right, we're going to start in five, four, three. So we're here summer months 2020 and COVID-19 has become a global pandemic. What was the timeline of events like for you guys here at VIR? Uh, Obviously heard about it in March, like everybody. I remember the thing when I started really realizing that it was going to be bad, St. Pete, when all of a sudden everybody's turned around and you're like, oh boy. we uh, would have people starting to call us up, asking what's our approach on it, and everybody was kind of like, didn't really know what it was, where it was gonna be. Um, I remember it gaining traction. I got together with Connie and we sat down in our office and we really started to look at what, it, what, what is the demographics of our workforce made up on. And um, you know, when we started looking at, you know, a lot of our security people are retired individuals and that just do this because they love VR and they love being here. And it's like, I think that was, you know, the point where Connie almost got a tear in her eye thinking about, God, what if we lost one of them? And then we, you know, you start thinking about all the employees you have and this ripple effect and your workforce really is the most important thing that you have here. That was the biggest threat. Yeah. I mean, we weren't even thinking lost income at that point. We were thinking, guys, we love these people. We're going to yeah. lose some people we love. So. I think that quickly caused us to go into, and, and obviously the, the state, the governors, started coming out with, um, this is what's gonna happen, here's some stay-at-home orders, you know, and um, of course for us that raised a lot of questions because we have just as many employees working in North Carolina as they do in Virginia, and then at first there was the worry about, okay, uh, what happens if I'm trying to drive to work and I get stopped, you know, in North Carolina? I mean, you know, I live in North Carolina, work in Virginia. Um, But we went to, uh, Connie and I agreed pretty quickly that we just need to shut down the month of April so that we could understand, you know, really what is this going to be and and, and what's going to happen? And that was probably the most frustrating month of my life. When you say shut down for April, define that to the basis like, like erased the calendar canceled everything uh, every contract that we had and uh, there might be three or four days we didn't have rented in april but cancel everything um uh literally go down to i think we went down to a staff of 14 people essential staff and basically those people were our security director going ahead and making sure that we can have movement on property. We decided that we had to keep cutting grass because when we did reopen, it was going to look, you know, it would look like you haven't cut grass in, in a month right. and there's clumps everywhere. And, and the, uh, yeah. And, um, you know, some building maintenance people shutting down the, making sure the buildings are operational and things like that. Otherwise, every, we had to furlough, um, we had to furlough everybody, you know, and that, um, I, you know, that, that just that, that scared so many people that didn't understand the difference between laying off and being furloughed and, you know, and then, um, you know, you're trying to apply for the small business loan um, and we didn't make it in the first round. So we we're like, oh, my God, you know, mm-hmm. this is bad. 
Um, and you know, you, you've got you know staff asking so many questions, and you just don't have a answers. You know, and these different bill, the CARES Act, and these different bills coming out that you have to understand. And then these executive orders start coming out, and it was Executive Order Fifty Three that really kind of was like, uh oh, because he singled out racetracks and was like, you know, you're done, and you're like, wow, you know, and then that's when. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. You go from, you're spending your whole time talking to your marketing director, putting little white dots in his forehead. More people need to know about us. We need to be out there. We, right. we need to be something to all of a sudden, you know, stop. Sorry, folks, the park's closed. The moose outside should have told you, you know? Right. You're like, done, Right. you know, right. just done. And uh, how, how do we reinvent ourselves? Yeah. Uh, what, what can we do? What can't we do? How enforceable is this? Um, you know, what, somebody doesn't even understand our business model. They don't even know who we are. Right. So how can they go ahead and say we're non-essential or we are essential when, well, we're essential here, but maybe we're not essential there. You overthink it. Right. Right. So, so you mentioned Executive Order 53. Yeah. That's a Virginia-specific order. Correct. Can you explain that to us? Yeah. So the governor kind of came out and said that there was a... Um, you know, establishing what is essential businesses and non-essential businesses. So that came out and is specifically in one area mentioned racetracks. Um, followed by that. Specifically racetracks. Yes, specific. So not entertainment venues or no. outdoor parks. No, race it was tracks. racetracks. And um, I think he was also lumping in horse racing uh, venues, sure. which I only think there's like two or three. and. For Virginia, obviously there's, you know, a couple of big tracks that people think right off the top of their head, but when you put the drag strips and the dirt tracks, you're probably up to 27 uh, tracks, you know, throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. Um, and then quickly followed behind that was executive Virginia Governor Executive Order 55, uh, which really kind of gave the timeline of, you know, how long you were going to be shut down, what your restrictions were, and that was the stay-at-home order, um, which they turned into stay safer or something like that. They played around with the words on it. But. You mentioned that this really wasn't on your radar until you started seeing it show up at St. Pete in the middle of March. And, and you know, VIR is in Southern Virginia, which for all intents and purposes on the more rural side, whereas uh, some of us who live in larger urban populations, it had kind of been on our radar since February that something could be coming. Um, was there a plan? No, and that's, I think, the most frustrating thing is even if you had a plan, it would be ineffective. You can't plan around something you don't control, yeah. all right? So motorsports is so dependent on a calendar Tracks are dependent on a calendar. They're dependent on long-term planning, dependent on being in control of your destiny, all right? And all of a sudden, that's removed from you. I've never been more lost and frustrated in my life. Yeah. I mean, you think you have a, you've worked for a week to have a plan, and then all of a sudden, you know, somebody has to back out because they can't get to you because of travel bans in other states that are opening up. Right. Or, um, you know, somebody all of a sudden says, hey, this is a lot more real than I thought, I need to back out. Or you, you, you feel like, okay, um, we're, we're, we're reinventing ourselves, we're looking at CDC guidelines, we're retraining staff, that was a big thing. 
you know, that it was like, all right, everybody had to be different, especially a place like this where it's more family and everybody's very, you know, and there was so much fear and unknown, you just didn't know. And you, you keep working to this, I mean, they're just the longest days I've ever had being on the phone trying to figure things out. And you would get somewhere, you're like, I see the light at the end of the tunnel, and then that tunnel would collapse right. instantly. And you're like, I'm so screwed. And you start getting worried that, you know, what, what are we going to do? I mean, how is this, how are we going to come out of this? Because the, the message back then was so bleak. And, you know, just think about it. Now, you know, it's kind of like, I, I think some people are like, dude, I'm done. You know, I'm okay. I'm, I'm kind of moving on, which is not the best thing to do. You still need to have common sense and carry on with it. But the, that, that effect or that fear has worn off for a few people, I think. Sure. So, but yeah, so we're currently in phase two, waiting to hear where we are in phase three. But we also got released a specific two racetracks, how to reopen operating single day events, phase one that came out in phase two. So it didn't line up with phase one. So wondering, well, if we're in phase one of this, but in phase two here, it almost seems like we're off a of phase. And then, so something as unique as VIR is back early in phase one, private campgrounds were able to reopen. In phase to, or in phase one that came out in phase two of racetracks being able to reopen, no campings allowed. Right. So, okay, well, VIR is a private campground, but you know we also are a racetrack, which, I mean, it's just, it's, it, there's not like one blanket policy that sits there and fits every business. And I think that's what a lot of people were finding confusion for. and. You know, I, I will go to Home Depot and Lowe's and see a busier store there than the paddock is on most days at VIR. And I'm like, well, you know, and if anything, it came really evident that motorsports needed better lobbyists. Because if you look, when this happened, when, when, when the pandemic came out, one of the first things they were talking about is golf, course can re golf courses can remain open. Yeah. How did that happen? Oh, they got real PGA has really good lobbyists. Yeah. And they went ahead and jumped right on it and made sure that they were covered. And I, I thought that was I was, you know, golf clap, you know, wow. <laughs> Amazing. Way to be. Um, and nobody really understood the business of motorsports. Everybody thinks, oh, motorsport, it's NASCAR. That's what everybody thinks. And so you're put into this box and the governor looks at you. I mean, he's writing rules for stuff that don't apply to a drag strip, don't, don't apply to a circle track, a dirt track. Um, and uh, it's just one blanket doesn't fit all when you get into people's business. When we spoke with Greer Martin, he mentioned that it would behoove people to make sure they're being heard by their politicians, wherever they are. Do you feel like you've been heard? So. Greer is, Greer is given really good advice because they, you can't fix something if you don't know it's broken, right? But also, do you really want to draw attention to yourself right now? So do you, do you want to be out there and be like, hey, buddy, you better listen to me. You better know what's going on because there are so many things uncertain and it's kind of like, all right, I'm not saying that I want to be deceptive or I want to be, you know, I, I just, just put my head down and just, you know, just get off social media 
do what you need to do to keep people employed, to keep a business alive, yeah. and not go ahead and poke the bear right now, who's got way bigger fish to fry and way other things going on. Just, I don't think the input is really gonna change their mind, and it's probably gonna, maybe could have more of a negative effect than a positive effect on you. So because of the winter here, you budget four months of low or no income. Yes. But I assume the way you get your guys' budgets work, you can't budget for a whole other month or two of being able to sustain that. Right. So we budget, we, we go ahead and assume that as soon as we get into December, as soon as we get into the second week in December, we're pretty, not, pretty much not going to have really anything going on until we get into um, past the second week in February. We might have some military training. Uh, we might have some corporate retreats. We might have a couple little things here and there, but it's not something that you can uh, continually count on because the contracts change with the military and you know, little Susie may not be getting married this year. So things move around. But when you get into our prime, when you get into weekends, because there's only so many that we have in a year, when you get into those weekends, they start filling up almost instantly and everybody wants theirs. And so you'll have weekends rented out from the second week in February until into the second week of December, usually. And uh, then all of that really fills in to where we're almost rented out daily from March until uh, the first of December. So when all of a sudden 10 of those weeks are taken away from you, yeah. how, how big of a hit is that? Because I you can account for maybe taking a loss in a business, but taking a zero income period like that. Uh, and it, it's, it's, it's a huge hit. And it's one that, you know, you, you're, you're, you're sitting here, when you really start running the numbers and start reverse engineering your budgets and going ahead and looking at it, and uh, just on the face value of track rental, it was a big number. You can't even, we didn't even go into how much did we lose in camping, how much did we lose in, um, you know, off-road vehicle pass. Uh, you know, then you start looking at, well, how much do we lose in lodging? It's like, oh my God. So how much are we losing in food and beverage? So we're a multi-use facility that has multi, has multiple ways to lose money. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's like that, that picture got big really quick. I would say that with VIR's multi-use facility, you guys have government contracts for sort of training operations. You guys have the hotel that other racetracks don't have. Obviously, you can rent out certain parts of the track at the same time to multiple people. How does that compare to like a smaller short track just down the road that only does Friday, Saturday night racing? Yeah. So. I had an epiphany when we were sitting here going through and trying to figure everything out. And it was like, once we got back and going to things and the restrictions started lining up, I was like, you know, I went to Connie, I was like, you know, I'm really, really grateful that we only have one event that we rely on tickets on. We have just one event. That's it. Everything else is if the tickets that come in, however we work it with that renter or however it is, usually it's just gravy, um, you know, and I don't know how those circle tracks are doing it because I mean, they have, I mean, it, they have to have, I mean, they might have some testing rental here and there, but predominantly they have to have that ticket income. And, you know, for us, it was, oof. okay. We're looking at the rest of the calendar. There's one event here that it's like, all right, we got to figure out 
um, what we're going to do. And then the rest of them, like, okay, I, I think we can work through this. We've seen uh, headline news from some small tracks because they've hosted races out of what looks like desperation because of the needing yeah. the tickets, needing butts and seats, whereas yeah. you guys predominantly have renters come in and rent the whole track and then they put on an event. Can you relate to the hardships that a smaller track's gonna go through? Yes, and I think with a lot of those circle tracks when they're making those decisions, those are the owners uh, making those decisions. And if I were the owner of VIR, you know, Connie could come in here right now and be like, the hell with this, open up this track and you tell them, I mean, Connie and I did, you know, kind of laughingly at one point, you know, we're like rock, paper, scissors, who's gonna go to jail? You know, we're like, <laughs> you know, it was kind of like, okay, if we do this, mm -hmm. I was like, Connie, I'm going. Yeah. You're not, she's like, the hell of that, I'm going. Yeah. You know, I'm like, you know, okay. So, um, but I think for me, um, I'm not the owner of VIR and I have to make decisions going with the worst case scenario, okay? And I won't say like there's sleepless nights and you know, this was just, you know, really hard on me, but it weighed so heavy on me. All of our employees not being able to work and also the risk of any of them getting sick. And then you also look at, okay, the governor is pretty much admitting that it's not enforceable what they're doing on some of this, like the, you know, when we reopened and started getting back to things, we called the local officials and we said, hey, this is what we're doing. You're going to hear noise at the racetrack, you know, so th this is, we're operating under CDC guidelines. We have this in place. We've got staff retrained. This is what we're doing. As you start going through and um, you start making that decision that you're going to go back to work and you know it's not enforceable, you kind of could get a little bit bold in saying, okay, well, great, I'll just do whatever and come and challenge. Again, I don't want to challenge. And um, they made it clear that there are ways that they can come after you, whether if you have any kind of state-issued certification. So operating agreement, um, ABC license, uh, Virginia Department of Health, shutting down hotels, restaurants, public camping areas, um, you know, swimming pool, uh, anything uh, that, 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 you know, or even private camping area, anything that they can think of is a way for them to come in. So again, all right, let's not go down that road because we don't have the desperation. Right. And it's like, we can do just enough and be within the spirit of what they want you to do to operate a safe and effective program that's practicing social distancing, CDC guidelines, posting signs everywhere, getting that message out, and you know having hopefully a knowledgeable staff. So you could run a big public event right now and not go to jail, but maybe a permit that you need for next year may be harder to get. Or wouldn't be there at all. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and you don't want to have the optics. You know, you hear people talking about optics, okay? It's not only that thing taken away, but what, what are those other tracks that are going ahead and being defiant? What are they doing? Are they gaining people that are liking them? Are they being targeted for where things are at? Mm -hmm. um, I don't like making people feel uncomfortable, you know? I, I don't want to ask somebody to come to VIR or, or, you know, I know that was all voluntary because it was ticket stuff, but you know, one thing I struggled very early on, especially with our club members, it was like, you know, how soon do you get them on track? 
I didn't want to get anybody on track while we we're still under an executive order, even though within the state of Virginia, you could travel for exercise. So our Virginia club members theoretically could have traveled in the state of Virginia to come here to seek exercise. Mm -hmm. But I don't want somebody to feel like they have to use this club day that we went ahead and put on the calendar. Right. And it's like, God, if I don't take it, I just lost some revenue. So I'm forced to go ahead and do this. And you know, you start thinking about people's sensitivities, the optics, you, you overthink everything. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're, you're stuck with, well, we just got to do what's best for the company. So can you tell us some of the things you guys had to do here in the state of Virginia for you to be able to operate privately in terms of safety guidelines and protocols? So first and foremost is understanding what's being asked of you and then interpreting uh, you know, it's kind of funny. It's like you almost felt like you were a crew chief again. You know, it's like, all right, if it's not in the rule book, you know, it's kind of like you start looking at, you know, literally, I mean, to use a perfect example, I've put me right back in the racing days where you're building a race car and you're trying to sit here and say, okay, what, what's on? What's not? Um, immediately, you have to understand that you have to restrict entry to your facility, okay? You know, you have to understand now who is coming onto your facility. So um, then you start thinking about all the surface space you have, because there's so many conflicting things. It was like, oh, it lives on a surface for this long, or oh, it's in the air, or oh, it's here. You know, you're, you're, you're jiving and shucking and moving every time a, a, a new expert goes ahead and, and, and tells you something. and. Um, you then have to start thinking about, all right, what buildings are essential, what are non-essential? Um, you know, the simplest things of like eliminating touch points for people. So, you know, shut down the water fountains because you don't want people touching that bar because you can't clean it all the time. It's hard enough trying to clean the fuel pumps, you know. Um, how to stop having meetings. You know, businesses thrive off of meetings. So just taking, okay, corner workers, Okay, they all love to get together in the morning and have their meeting and discuss. Well, all right, you go, you have to clean equipment. So the, the radio has to be clean, the flag sets have to be clean. Make sure that almost you're using the same employees over and over as much as possible and keep that flag set out at the station. Uh, bring your radio back at the end of the day. We'll wipe it down, but you're getting the same one tomorrow. Have your meeting over the radio. There's no more getting together. You don't come in for lunch. You eat lunch at the station totally uh, EMS having the same crew work together. I mean, you know, we, we, we wouldn't take days off. I mean, I didn't take, I, I didn't take any days off while we were under an executive order or anything doing this because of that fear that you would be an hour away if somebody did come to the gate or somebody got sick or something happened and you had to react and go into, okay, how do we decontaminate this area and where are we taking this person? Are we telling them to go home? Who did they hang out with? Um, and so every facet of what you're doing, you know, of, of starting, okay, at the security gate, um, you know, the biggest thing was waiver. Okay, so you hand this clipboard, you touch this pen, you, you do all this. So getting, you know, getting on the phone with K&K &K right away, hey guys, we've gotta have, you know, something that they can print at home, sign at home and just give us, we'll be the touch point, you know, um, and K&K &K got that, which was great. Um, and then, you know, which came a COVID waiver, which then you start getting people to challenge it and all this. It's like, listen, okay, either you want to be here or you don't. So I'm just telling you, 
this is the point of entry and we can have this argument all day long, but I'm just going to tell you, we, we want people here that want to be here and that want to make it a harmonious experience, want to work with us. If you want to come in and you want to just stir the pot and this is what you want to do, I'm sorry, we don't want your business that bad enough right now. Total flip reversal where everybody has been, okay? You've had to just change your game plan. You know, how are people getting in the facility? When they're here, where are they going? Um, you know, and it's like we changed uh, with, with the hotels. You know, we we're like, hey, we're not doing day service anymore. If you're staying here with us for three days, we're not going into your room until you leave. We'll put an extra set of tiles and stuff in a little trash bag outside your door and you just take care of yourself and then you know we have to go in and you know completely clean everything restaurant you know shuts down for a while until we can figure out you know what can we do curbside service how do we do that i mean we're just now getting a qr code thing going into place so you can order you know before it was just you you almost went back old school to where everybody's working off the phone everybody's having point on point conversations it's not email it's not text because it's so live and it's so in the movement and it's changing every day that you had to have that person-to-person -person contact. What are some of the specific numbers or allowances given in this current phase? It's like how many people are allowed to be here one time, things like that? Phase, phase one was a social gathering of 10, uh, it was a social gathering of 10. Phase two is a social gathering of 50, and we don't know what the projections are for the next phases. And you're currently in phase two as we speak. Currently in phase two. Do the same rules apply to a property like this, as big as it is, to let's say a short track just down the road? Because you guys could fit 20 short tracks on this facility, but you still get the same amount of people. I don't think when they were writing these rules and when they were making all this stuff, I don't think they were thinking about anybody other than what do I need to do to protect people but also cover their butts to make sure that you know they were issuing something that was going to be uh, you know acceptable um, I, I, I again I just don't think the blanket thing works because you, you can't sit there and say that you know we could we could put all the people that are in the Lowe's and Home Depot in our paddock and still have room mm -hmm. you know we got 14 acres of paddock down there they could all social distance down there no problem you know, we could probably put four or five Home Depots in there. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't think they wrote it really thinking about any specific business or facility. They just wrote it to say, these are the blanket rules. This is going to cover everybody. And unfortunately, I don't think it applied to many at all. So here in early summer months, current phase rules, you are allowed to have 50 people on property. But your biggest race of the year coming up in a couple of months, and as of right now, 50 people wouldn't even come close to the amount of people that want to be here for that event. How do you feel that's going to go? Yeah, that's, that's not even like the parking crew. <laughs> um, so I think a lot of people are trying to be creative and looking at it. Um, again, we're not, we're not in control of this vessel and where it's going, so you don't even know what to say or what favor to ask. The great news is, is lots of people are talking and trying to get very creative and obviously you're speaking about IMSA and so when we're sitting here I'll tell you John Tunin has I, I feel for the guy to be able to step into those roles have one race and then have this happen to where it's not that 
they can't get together like NASCAR. It's just so much of their paddock comes from overseas that that's the biggest hurdle that they have right now. And then trying to find this model with a lot of these tracks where, you know, it's, it's like you pay a sanctioning fee and then, you know, you offset that with fans coming out and supporting the event. And, you know, you, you, there's a lot of risk in that, you know, bad weather, uh, global pandemic, just to throw something out there, you know, all, all these different things that come in. And, you know, before it didn't used to be, you know, when everybody had those, um, you know, in, in, in the contract language where they're sitting there saying, you know, uh, you know, you read those things and be like, you know, military action or riot or global pandemic, you know, you would always be like, yeah, 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 yeah. They're just, they're just putting that stuff in there. This will never happen. Right. I mean, everybody's looking at that stuff now and like, we've got to re, we've got to rewrite this now and we've got to look at it closer. So the one thing that I don't have answers, but I've always had great confidence in is that even through all the years working with EMSA, even in the ALMS years and even, you know, now, it, they really, they, there always has been that communication, at least for VR, I'm not speaking for anybody else, for VR has been that communication of, you may have your things that you argue about and you fight on and you're not happy with and they're not happy with, but in the end, we always found a common ground and I never ever felt like all the risk was gone ahead and put right on top of me and, or, you know, they were saying, you know, hey, I'm gonna go take a piss when I come back, I want this signed, you know, I, I, I haven't felt like that. so. John has been as vocal as he can with us, with me, and, and trying to say, we just don't have an answer. Um, but you know, I think we're hoping that something is gonna get worked out. And since there is that NASCAR ownership, NASCAR has understood that model of what NASCAR is doing. I think NASCAR is now trying to understand the road racing model. And of course they have lots of lobbyists and they have a lot of strings that they can pull. So if they can, I'm sure they will get in here and figure out what it's gonna be, but it just, it's tricky for the track because we can't just do this without fans as it currently is right now. So there would have to be different concessions made. So early summer now, let's assume that this hits the air in November. Where will VIR be at that point in your mind? Uh, still doing uh, private events. I, I'm just, I love not having expectations because you're, you know, it's just like, you're just like, yeah, roll with it, you know? Yeah, I, I, me with the I, yeah, yeah. I, and it drives my wife nuts, you know, because I don't have Can any expectations. Drives your wife nuts? Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> you know, and she has to see those feature programs, you know? <laughs> so the, I, I just don't know when you see, when you see things shifting and you know these governors are making decisions you you know that there's so much input from other people and there's so many other pressures whether it be political whether it be community all the different things that are coming into it will this get reversed will this get rolled back will this just all go away um i just don't see us as the commonwealth of virginia opening up just because there was so much spoken to the science of this, the science of that. And I'm okay with that. It's a lot more work to do a private event than it is to just be open to the public. So I think we're all kind of prepared for that. But once you get into the habit of it, um, it just becomes like normal operations. And I, I hope we'll still be able to do all our other events. You just really get into a point to where 
it becomes, you have to define who is essential to that event. And it really becomes a definable term. You know, it's like, gosh, is this photographer essential to the event happening? Is this, you know, is this person that, you know, is just bored and wants to come out and support it? They're not essential. So do I really need this extra truck driver? Do I need this extra parts truck there? I mean, everybody is really looking at what is essential. And it's unfortunate because I know it's hurting some industries more than others. You know, some you know, people you know, pay their bills by taking pictures or pay their bills by writing journalistic stories about motorsports. When they're deemed not essential, it's the same way as the small you know, hardware store feels why Walmart is open you know, or Home Depot is open. So in Virginia, NASCAR has a couple of big events in Richmond and in Martinsville. Uh, and those tracks will make some money with no fans just by virtue of TV income yeah. and some of those sort of things. Yeah. The road course model with your large sports car events are a straight up, you pay a sanctioning fee, the circus comes into town and you have to make your money back on ticket sales, on private vendors and, and chalets Every and all that counts. sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So if you're not allowed to have any of that, right. is it worth it for you guys? No, I mean, we, financially we can't do it. I mean, it would be, it would, it would be equal to the loss that we had for shutting down for COVID-19. I mean, it would just be massive. Right. Basically, you have two pandemics. Exactly. In yeah. one year. I mean, and it's, you know, it's just like, you, you, we, we've been through, we paved, paved VIR twice in three years. One of them had a lawsuit associated with it. Then we had three named storms in, in another year that shut us down for big weekends. You know, you go through all this stuff and it's like, it's, you know, when, when are the locusts coming, you know, I'm, I'm ready, you know? And when you look at that, again, it's something that there's, we will work it out, we will figure it out, but you know, Martinsville is coming up really soon. And I'm always encouraged that they, you know, NASCAR's learning a little bit more. Even if you hear them talk about, it's like the first race we did, man, we went in like deep, mm -hmm. okay, really deep. And we did everything almost to a fault. Now we've been able to scale back. We understand it a little bit better. You know, we're able to do this, but they're hopping from state to state. Yeah. So think about that. So IMSA has got to hop from state. To, each one of these states is a little bit different, has their different touching points in different phases, different numbers. It's way more complicated than it should be. You know, whether this were just a federal thing that, okay, the United States is going to go ahead and do this except for these hotspots. Okay, great. You know, you can move around a little bit better, but. So if the phase does not change between here and when the IMSA race happens, and you're not allowed to have fans out here, the only way that event works is if IMSA works with you to figure out how you can arrange the, the finances of it. And it's going to be mutual. Yeah. I mean, it's just that's already been shared and expressed. Yeah. It's are you, you know, are you doing a are, are you doing a track rental model? Are you saying, folks, see you in 2021. I'm sorry, this just doesn't work out. Um, you know, and it's you, you can't be selfish and just think about your date or your race. I mean, this is affecting I mean, you just look at the announcement with Porsche, you know, just right now. And, you know, I mean, motorsports is getting hit really hard with this. Lots of people losing their jobs and not just for not just furloughed for a little bit. Right. This is permanent. Done. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, it, this this is we didn't have any control over this. But I think the one thing I've loved is everybody that we talk with are figuring out we're all in this together. 
you know, and we all have to figure it out together. Um, you know, it's like we're, we're, we're all in different boats, but we're in the same storm. To show the world that top is what I strive for Greatness is a journey I'm willing to strive for Consistency is key and I don't take no time off Against the odds I put it all on the line for A lesson learned for every flaw I'm gonna make Consequence I undertake Putting all my trust and faith Failure won't become my fate Ten toes down I never fold Give it all to reach my goal That's my name is stone with my story told Say I did it for the on a battlefield, there lies a real warrior. Many tried and failed, but I remain victorious. Strip away my fame, all the money, glamour, and gold. But you can never take my soul, no. I'm in it for the glory. I'm in it for the glory. I'm in it for the glory. My second win, I feel reborn, just eating up, just getting warm They had their rain, I came to storm Overcome obstacles when I perform If it's impossible, I'll take it on If you're not willing to risk what is average You're gonna settle for what is the norm Can you feel it? Cross before the honor, what I pledge Can you feel it? Not afraid to jump over the ledge Perseverance I just play with problems are ahead Others inspire to be avaricious, but instead I want the glory Keep the cash, I want the credit Immortality is being remembered when you exit Confidence is key Anything I want or I'ma get in my control Failure can only manifest if I let it Show them I'm a warrior, develop through it all Made it out the rebel, I survive in any war Know that there's a win outside of every single loss Make it known when my story comes across That I did it for the On a battlefield in Tried and failed, but I remain victorious. Strip away my fame, all the money, glamour, and gold. But you can never take my soul. No, I'm in it for the glory. 